0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Immanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Wow, what a month we have had, all right, and what a lesson and a training we have received. You see, one of the biggest things that God can do for, for a man is to train him for all the things that he would have him do in the future. It is not an accident that you have encountered this ministry. God must have something very special to achieve in and through your life for him to bring you to the way of Celebration Church, because to whom much is given, much is expected. And I want you to know today, in case no one has told you, or in case you have not realized, much is being given to you, all right? And you must rise up, as a responsible student and to to use and to appropriate all that you have been given. The theme for today's teaching is snakes and ladders. Snakes and ladders. And some of you who played board games growing up, and maybe you still do, know the game of snake and ladders, where you just roll the die, and according to what the dice read, you begin to progress in the game from zero to 100, all right? But it's not that straightforward. Yeah, in and of itself, it's competitive, I mean, depending on how large the numbers of the dice read. But it's not that straightforward. The the journey up there is crooked. So there are snakes, and there are ladders, all right? You can experience a windfall as you're going up when you land on a ladder. It's going to take you, and you're going to skip several steps. But you can also experience a setback if you land on a snake. The snake is going to take you down. Uh, While we're talking about this, you see, one very important training you must receive as a Christian is a training on finances because that board game is the picture of many people's finances (laughs) or your experience with people's finances, the people around you. Um, You might be in the same classroom at some point, but as time goes on, Some of your friends will have a very favorable journey financially, and you know they're just making progress. Some are experiencing windfalls, ladders, and others are experiencing snakes. It it just looks like some people were poor yesterday and are rich today. Some people were rich yesterday and are poor today. And it, it just looks like that keeps happening. In the same game, you can have ladders, and you can have snakes. You can have ladders, and you can have snakes. And this is so important. Oh, my God. May uh, trying financial time never meet you unprepared. It's an important training. You know, some people even think that such a prayer is not Christian because they think that because they are Christians, it must be favorable all the time. But Paul said, I've learned to abound and to abase. He says, I'm instructed in all things to be content. Listen, you have to learn contentment. And you have to see how we can potentially affect your walk with God. And so the Bible tells us Jesus was talking, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, which was descriptive of the word of God planted in our hearts and the potential effect of the word in our hearts. The word doesn't have the same effect in everyone. It has to do with the preparedness of the receiver. All right? It says some fall on stony places, some fall among stones, some fall, you know, he says, and the one that falls among thorns. thongs, this is what he described metaphorically. It says, there are those who have, who experience the deceitfulness of riches. So you're a child of God, you receive the word of God often, but then the trying times that you experience begin to choke the word. Listen, as vibrant as your walk with God may be, as wonderful as your spiritual experiences may be, It's wonderful that you attend a church like Celebration Church, but I'm speaking, some of you know what I'm saying. You can go through such a trying time financially, it's hard to pray. It's hard to concentrate. No wonder the Bible says in 3 John 2, it says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Because um, the apostles saw that as important as soul prosperity is, if you are not advancing in the other areas of life, it can be a distraction. So he's saying as much as so prosperity is important, I want you to experience progress in these aspects also. And so that's so important. You have to learn how to handle trying times. And that's what we mean by snakes and ladders. Handling mammon and rising in Babylon. The Bible tells us in Matthew, Jesus, again, talking, Jesus spoke a lot about money. I've told you this before. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And it's not because he was materialistic. It's because money has a lot to do with the health of your soul. In Matthew 6, 24, you know what he says? He says, no man can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, or else you be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And maybe in the course of this series, I'm going to explain what he meant by mammon. But of course, off the top of your head, um, if you have been in church long enough, you know he was talking about money. He was using that as a metaphor for money. You can't serve God and serve money. And so as a child of God, you must be trained when it comes to serving God, even when things are difficult, things are rough, things are tough. A lot of people, um, the, the impression of have been given of Christianity only permits them, all right, to serve God when things are merry because they expect that things ought to be merry all the time. After all, they believe in God. And well, that's wonderful. But it's not enough because, listen, Paul says, what can separate me from the love of God? So your faith in God must be structured in such a way that even if you expect great things to happen on account of your faith, great things are not the basis for your faith. So even in tribulation or distress, you remain steadfast, all right? You stagger not at the promises of God. And this is such an important training. Now to the Anchor text for the day. Second Timothy chapter 3, from verse 1. You know, I'm gonna actually do a brief commentary, but the commentary on this will take me to other texts from time to time. So just follow closely. Verse 1 is very instructive. It says, This know also, 2 Timothy 3:1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times shall come. Listen, this is a prophetic verse. This is insight into the future. Let me tell you something interesting. Descendment is a gift of the Spirit quite all right, but it is also the advantage of the studios. And this is what I mean by that. What do I mean when I say discernment is a gift of the Spirit, but it's also the advantage of the studios? I'm telling you categorically that you wouldn't always need a word of knowledge to understand the last days. You won't always need a word of knowledge because a lot of things that will happen in the last days have already been foretold in the scripture. And if you will be studious, you will know accurately what is going to happen in the last times as though you received the word of knowledge or you knew by prophecy. For instance, speaking of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9 verse 2, Daniel, which is Um, who have anchor character for these moms. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. Now, this is so prophetic also. He says, I understood not by prophesying as great as that is, not by word of knowledge as awesome as that is. I understood by books. I understood by books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he will accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So, background of the story, Jews were held captive in Babylon. And according to prophecy, the captivity was to last just 70 years. So, how do you know when it's a new prophetic season? When it is time to move on from where you are? When suddenly there is going to be a turnaround? Yes, you might expect someone to hold the mic and prophesy over your life. And as powerful as that is, that has its place. Daniel understood by books. So by books, a man of God in the past had already prophesied by the name Jeremiah. That because um, of the wrong things that Israel had done, Babylon was going to take them captive. But the captivity was going to last just 70 years. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and 12. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. It says, and this whole land shall be a desolation. Jeremiah stood in the land and prophesied. This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Very specific. And it shall come to pass that when seventy years are accomplished, that I'll punish the king of Babylon, and that nation said the Lord for their iniquity. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 as well. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. It says, for thus says the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Yes, they might have taken you exile, but I will bring you back to this place. That was the prophecy. And so Daniel, just by reading, understood. And that's what I wanted to do today. Just by reading, understand the times that we're living in. Because like I told you, Daniel was in Babylon, you are in Babylon. Babylon is a spiritual system, every spiritual system that seeks to suppress your knowledge of God. So I told you, in Bible history, Babylon is both in our past and in our future. So the Bible tells us in Revelation 13, Babylon appears again. At least a city will represent and take up the persona of ancient Babylon. And do things that were consistent with what ancient Babylon did. How about you understand by books. So that you can have the advantage of Daniel. And hold on to the word of God. Hold forth the word of life. And insist on what is consistent with God's will. And pray prayers that are prophetically consistent. Imagine Daniel reading and understanding by books that the desolation was meant to last just 70 years and 70 years had elapsed. No wonder when he prayed, an angel had to respond because it was consistent with prophecy. That's the kind of advantage you need to have. A preparation for these last times. And so back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, As if he knew we were going to talk about Daniel. That's not what he was saying, but that also seems suggestive. Like, well, Daniel knew you should know also. that in the last times, perilous times shall come. Listen, never again say you don't have prophecy because this is a cheap one. If you ever stand and prophesy that perilous times are coming, you are not wrong. That's consistent with scriptures. In fact, I dare say, in some measure, perilous times have come. And the word perilous just suggests wild and fierce times. You see, that Greek word translated perilous was used in Matthew chapter eight verse 28, all right descriptive of two men possessed by demons. The Bible says that Jesus journeyed over the sea and got to the other side and found two men at Gegisenes, G- or however you choose to pronounce it, possessed by demon spirits, spirits. And so the way they were acting was perilous, was wild, was dangerous. And God is saying, those times are coming. It's going to be wild out there. It's going to be wild on the streets. Ain't no love on the streets. That's the prophecy of the last times. And he tells you why. He begins to itemize the things that will happen prophetically in the last times. He says, for men shall be lovers of themselves. Of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, these are the things that he said will happen in the last time. And I want to shock you. It seems like he's mentioning several things, but I want to put it to you that he's mentioning one thing, one thing with different faces and manifestations. Because when you look at this, I want to put it to you that there is one thing, one trigger that can happen in the world and will set off all these things, all happen. And you know what that is? a tough financial system once there is a tough and perilous time financially all these system systems will happen what are the things he mentioned and let's see let's run through this test and see if these are things that can happen if things are tough financially he says men will be lovers of their own selves if money gets scarce everybody will look And they would expect you to understand, listen, i I, got to watch myself. It says men will love their own selves when there is scarcity financially, this is going to happen. It says men will be covetous when there is scarcity financially, you will look at what other people have and you will want it. It's not as if the scarcity made you covetous, the scarcity made covetousness that you already had more of yours. It says boasters, Listen, if there was abundance, there would be no cause for boasting. The reason why someone can, you know, show off his car and show off some stuff that he has is because it's not common. Without natural affection. Listen, just last year, um, there was a lockdown in this country. For not, not so long, I'm, I'm speaking compared to other countries, all right? especially the US, Canada, that is still on lockdown right now. All right? And you saw the kind of mayhem that happened. You know, um, crime rates increased. When there is financial scarcity, that's when the wickedness of men will be revealed. You will see men without natural affections. They don't really care. If what they take from you is your last morsel of bread, they must survive. And don't forget, they're lovers of their own selves. <laughs> He says, men will be truth breakers. Why is it that, you know, you have a financial agreement, you know a contract with someone, and he runs away with your money? Also, this can be a symptom. So all these things, like beads connected by one common, one trigger that can set off all these alarms. Is a tough financial system. And listen, you have an advantage in God. He tells you ahead of time that this will be the signs of the end time. What are you going to do then? Are you ready for it? Because if it meets you unprepared, you will be shocked. Some of you are probably surprised at the timeliness of this sermon. Because right where you are, you know, you, have, you are going through such a tough time financially. Tough time. Tough time. And it, it has distracted you spiritually. See, on one hand, I'm praying to God that you receive financial miracles and you will. But on the other hand, one of the biggest things you can develop is the fortitude in a time like this. Because mark my words, and this is no prophecy of doom. Even after you cross over this financial hurdle and this challenge that you're faced with, another one is going to come. It's just the nature of life. Every entrepreneur knows this. In fact... If you are having no financial challenges, maybe you are being mediocre. It's just the way it is. And so you have to receive a training in the world. There is one more thing that he said will happen in the last times, and I want to dwell on this for a while. He says many will be unthankful. Many will be unthankful. Listen, have you ever been in a dire financial need or any, any dire need generally that made, you, made it difficult for you to appreciate all the good things that were happening in your life. Paul tells you prophetically, we're going to have a lot of that in the last days. And you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Listen, don't even think you don't need this. You need this message. You're going to need this. If you don't already need it, you're going to need it. You're going to need this. Ah, Have you ever been in a place of dire financial need? Maybe you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Or you don't know where you're going to lay your head to rest the next day. It's a terrible place to be in. And I can tell you something. It will take solid character not to compromise. Because no matter how terrible the situation God's will for you is consistent. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, a text you should know by heart already. It says, in everything, give thanks. It says, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You don't know how you're going to put a cloth on your back, how you're going to have a roof over your head, how you're going to get the next meal. He says, in everything, in spite of it, He expects you to be thankful. And that's why he says it's going to be a symptom of the end time that people become unthankful. Listen, you look at all the other things and you see them as serious. Oh, you mean people will be truce breakers in the last time? People will be without natural affection? It is going to be that bad? And then in the midst, he throws in unthankfulness. Many of you don't realize how serious it is to be unthankful. But when you see the things that accompany it, he puts thankfulness on thankfulness side by side, being a traitor and being heady and being high-minded. It's that terrible a symptom. It's that terrible. And let me tell you why. It is simply this. Simply this. God is meant to be your satisfaction not things. God is meant to be your satisfaction, not things. So no matter how legitimate your needs are, if when you have scarcity, you are faced with scarcity, your focus shifts from God, it is actually symptomatic of the fact that your focus was never truly on God. I know it's easier said than done, but that's that's what the Bible clearly says. God is meant to be your satisfaction. And if when you're faced with scarcity, your focus is from God, it is because your focus was never truly on God. David said in Psalm chapter 36, verse 7, Psalm 36, verse 7, he says, How excellent is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men shall put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Not in money! Not in that job that you lost and you want to lose your mind now. And you are on suicide watches like people are watching you because you're suicidal? What is wrong with you? He says, put your trust under the shadow of his wings. He says, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness in your house. And you shall make them drink of the rivers of your pleasure. You need to realize your purse was never meant to satisfy you. It was never meant to. David said, in you, O God, is the fountain of life. In your light, we have seen light. So powerful. Psalm 36, verse 7 to 9. In you, O God. Listen, I'm giving you lyrics for your turbulent times. Things to pray. Things to sing. In you, O God, is the fountain of life. As you are praying for the situations to change. So that you can sing, you made a way when my back was against the wall. That's wonderful. It's a great song. And every other song like it. Nothing wrong with it at, at all. But you see, in the midst of that trying time, learn to still see God as your satisfaction. In you, oh God, it's a fountain of life. Yes, I want situations to change. But in you, oh God, it's a fountain of life. Psalm chapter 63 from verse 4. Psalm chapter 63 from verse 4 to 6 David said, Thus I will bless thee while I live. While I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. I will remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in, in the night watches. You will still be my meditation. Listen, do you know how hard this, this is? When there is scarcity, you can, things can be so scarce and things can get so bad. All you think about is money. It's all you pray about. It's all you think about. And God is telling you, that space in your mind, I deserve it. I understand that the needs are legitimate, but fix your focus on me. This is why he said you can't serve God and serve mammon because mammon can take over your mind, take over your life. That's all you live for. That's the totality of your life. In in your epitaph at your grave, you know what they should write probably is, he was pursuing money. That's the totality of your life. You need to be weary of that. So, there are two important biblical perspectives when it comes to money. Number one, God is my satisfaction. God is my satisfaction. That must be number one. And number two, I can trust him. It's that simple. I can trust him. You know, so that's why Jesus said, which of you by warring can add a cubit to your stature? He said, trust God. He says, the lilies of the field, they neither sow nor reap. He says, yet Solomon in all his glory did not dress as beautifully as them. He says, you are worth more than many lilies. He says, the sparrow, they never sow nor reap. He says, yet they don't go hungry. You are worth more than many sparrows. So listen, even though biologically you can explain how the sparrows eat, because there seems to be a system. But theologically, you must recognize that that system was put in place by God. And so the sparrows are existing because of the faithfulness of God. Imagine you had that perspective that even when you jammed someone on the road, you just seemingly accidentally found that old friend and he had a gift for you. That was God's providence at work. If If it works for the birds that way, that's what happens to you. That someone just, you know, chose to send you money impromptu. You were not even expecting it. That was God at work. If he sees God at work in the sparrows, even if they don't pray, you must see God at work in your own life as well. Now I said all of that to say this, because don't forget the slogan for today's sermon. Handling mammon and rising in Babylon. is something you must learn in this month. Because you see, you, you may find yourself like Daniel in Babylon. And thank God for divine favor. You are serving close to the king, but guess what? It's still not your country. And thank God that you are so blessed financially, but you still look at Forbes list and top 10 richest people. None of them is even Christian, maybe. So you need to recognize the system in which you are working in. And at least you, you need to learn to navigate your way. And it begins by having the right perspective of money. I told you money is a wild animal. I told you this two weeks ago. You must tame it. You must put a leash over it. You must put it in its place. You must subjugate it. Because if you don't handle mammon, mammon will handle you. And so one of the things you see from Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 is that he gives a personality to money. He calls it mammon. It's a spirit. It's trying to control you. If it is not controlled, it will control. And so Philippians chapter 2, from verse 14 and 15, difficult text to relate to as a Nigerian. When you look at aboki.com or whatever the website is called that gives you current foreign exchange rates, and then you see that as at this morning, dollar is 514 to 1, you know. And then you read this in Philippians two fourteen, and it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Uh, sir, uh, are, you, are you following the news? I know there's Twitter ban, you're not really seeing updates, but are you following the news? These are the perilous times you talked about. How do we do all things without complaining and disputing? I already told you because he's your satisfaction. He's your satisfaction. Just imagine this instruction. And he tells you why you should do all things without complaining and disputing. He tells you why in the next verse. He says that you may become... Blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation amongst whom you shine as light. He says, Your refusal to complain and to murmur is your difference. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's your difference. When you refuse to murmur, when everyone is murmuring, he says, That's divine uniqueness. Let me tell you this. Sometimes you prove by what you do or by the difficulty of what you do, that you have the Spirit of God. Let me take that again. Sometimes you prove by the difficulty of what you do, by the difficulty of what you produce, that you have the Spirit of God. When you do what is not naturally easy, to put things in point, case in point, you know, Jesus said, if you love them that love you, you're not different from the heathen. Everybody loves them that love them. Everybody loves those who love them. He says, but when you can love your enemies and pray for them who despitefully use you. Ah, he says you will be like your father who causes his rain to fall both on the just and on the unjust. So now, in this situation, as it pertains to contentment, if you only would not murmur when you are, you have abundance how are you different from the world then he says do all things without disputing or murmuring he says in that way in a crooked perverse generation you will shine as lights so people see you they know all right that even though um you're not where you want to be you're not where you used to be yeah you're thankful for everything that's happening but they still see some challenges in your life yet there's still a smile on your face a dance on your feet you see, you are still whole. You are still steadfast in your faith. You're still consistent in your values. You've not allowed it to affect your character in any way. They can tell that there is something different and divine about you. Listen to me. Some of you, you are, I mean, maybe your hand is literally on your head like, God, how did you know I needed this word so much? This is a prophetic word to you. I know you're going through a tough time. He says, do all things without disputing or murmuring. So that you shine as light in a crooked and perverse generation. You can't be like everyone. You can't murmur like any anyone. You can't complain like everyone. And now every of your status is about jackpot. You know, explaining you've you've not settled down to ask God what His will for your life is. Have you? Don't you know who God is? You can dig wells in the desert. You can plant a garden in the wilderness. That's the God of Isaac that I'm talking about. You don't know who you're talking talking about. Who is God to you? Learn to trust him. Learn. You know, this text is even more powerful when you read from verse 12. Verse 12 is very popular. You know, it's a popular flow of thought. But maybe you didn't see it. You've not learned to read it in context and see where it's leading to. You know what verse 12 says? Philippians 2. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. It says, "Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. It says that salvation that you have received freely, let there be an outworking. Salvation is a miracle that happened inside. Let it show on the outside. And he tells you how. He says, for it is God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I know you use this text for many things. But he's also talking about maintaining character in a time of difficulty, especially financial difficulty. So when he says, do all things without murmuring and complaining, he's not asking you to do what you cannot do. He said, it's God. God is working in you. To will and to do of his good pleasure. Maybe you even reluctantly tuned into this sermon because you're going through such a tough time. But I'm telling you, by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, you can still be steadfast and consistent. Unmoved, unperturbed. It is God who walks in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. I decree and declare, I confess right now that God is at work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. So therefore, I do all things without murmuring. I do all things without complaining. Because I trust him. What a perspective. And that's the same perspective that guides you when it comes to generosity. It's the same perspective. Let me tell you something. You cannot be perpetually generous except you are perpetually content. There is no way around it. I wish I had time to get into the etymology of this, but you see, you have to realize that the fact that you are not selfish does not mean you are generous. There are two different things. The fact that you are not selfish does not mean you are generous. See, the average man will give a lot of money if he has a lot of money. If it doesn't cost you anything. Have you ever given something that meant a lot to someone else but didn't mean much to you? Maybe there's that beggar, you know, that was up and about you, you know, around you when you were on the streets, begging for money like his life depended on it. And you gave him... $1, or you give him 200 naira, you were feeling generous, give him 500 naira, and he's so excited. And maybe at that time, it didn't mean much to you. You know what David said? He says, I won't give to God what doesn't cost me anything. Listen, the test of generosity is the cost that you had to bear. It must cost you something. Because if out of your abundance you just give sprinkles listen that's wonderful and that's noble but it's not generosity and I just want to let you know this until you understand contentment you cannot truly be generous I want to take you through a simple bible study a popular text that everybody knows second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 Come on, open that text wherever you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You know what it says? It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Yeah, I know you know the text and you have confessed it. Oh, I will always have all sufficiency in all things. You know God has made all grace abound towards me. That me, oh, I always oh, have in all sufficiency in all things may abound. And you know what you think this text means is that you will have so much money that you will, you will never stop giving. That's what you think it means. But let me shock you. The Greek word translated sufficiency is autokea, Otokeia. And autokea is spelled... A-U-R-T-A-K-E-I-A. I'll spell it again. A-U-R-T-A-K-E-I-A. Autakeia does not mean abundance. Autakeia means contentment. See, let me tell you something. First and foremost, background of the story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, from verse 1 and 2, which is just a chapter before the chapter I read, Paul says this, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, he says, I want you to know of the grace of God, which was on the church of Macedonia. And he wasn't talking about the grace for preaching or the grace for healing the sick. He says, this is the grace he talked about in verse 2. He says, despite the fact that they were deeply poor, They became even more generous. Now that's grace. That's what I was trying to tell you. That you have plenty of money, and so you increase your giving. That's not that's wonderful, but it's not generosity. All right. But these people, despite the number of legitimate reasons they had not to be generous, they gave still, and Paul called it grace. And it's the same context when it comes to Second Corinthians nine eight, and it says God is able to make. All grace. He's talking about generosity that comes from contentment. All grace abound towards you, and he says, so that you always having all auto care In all things, may abound in every good work. You know that Greek word was used only twice in the New Testament. You know where else it was used? In First Timothy chapter six, verse six. Oh, you need to see that text yourself. First. Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Do you know what it says? It says, now, godliness with auto care. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with auto care is great gain. So that word actually means contentment. Not abundance, but contentment. And listen, it is beautiful that they even translated it, sufficiency. because when you're content, you will always be sufficient. That's the idea. He says, so God is able to make all generosity abound towards you. This is how you will always be generous. By being content. Always. This is the only way you can truly be generous at any time, T, in your life. So listen, you'll have to learn to start where you are. Some of you have been saying in your heart, Oh, God, if you will give me money, the things I will do for the body of Christ. Oh, if you will give me money, resources, God, you know my heart. Listen, you are right. God knows your heart. And let me tell you categorically. He says, he that is faithful in little (laughs) is faithful in much. So listen, what you are doing right now is what you would do if you had money. (laughs) If you are not generous now, you will not be Listen, abundance does not confer generosity. You have to understand this. It does not. Abundance does not confer. There is nothing miraculous about abundance that suddenly makes you generous. It does not bestow generosity. So he says, He that is faithful in little is faithful in much. What you are doing now is what you would do if you had 10 times more or 100 times more. So God doesn't have to wait to see, He's seen already. And let me tell you something very important. Isn't it blasphemous, "quote unquote," from a social cultural standpoint, that Paul did not rebuke the church at Macedonia for giving, even though they were poor. He didn't rebuke them. Instead, he used them as an example to teach the church at Corinth. Isn't it? abominable from a social-cultural standpoint, that Jesus stood to observe people's generosity. And a widow came and dropped her widow's mite. And he didn't protest. And say, no, why will a poor person give? He allowed it. Let me tell you something. And Jesus was very big on generosity. He won't carry purse for the poor. But Jesus still expects you, no matter the trying times you are facing, to give. Because no matter what, no matter how bad things are for you, there are people that are having it worse than you. There are people that are having it worse than you. And you see, the only way you can be generous at all times is if you are content at all times. Don't forget what we're talking about. Handling mammon. If you don't learn what I'm saying, mammon will handle you. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way. And so, Paul said this very important teaching. 2 Corinthians 8 again. In verse 7, it says, As you are bound in everything, in faith. Oh, now you've learned about the Christian faith. You're born again. You are bound in faith. Or maybe he's talking about charismatic faith. You know how to move mountains and all of that you are bound in faith, in speech, you can preach a good sermon. You can preach up a storm. It says in knowledge, you all have understanding of Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It says, and in all diligence, you are always the first person to come to church. You, ha- you belong to four different service units and you are effective in all. It says, and in love for us, it says, see that you are bound in this grace also. See that you are bound in this grace also. So, Generosity is an aspect of spiritual growth. It's an aspect of spiritual growth. The same way I can look at myself and say, Oh, I'm praying more now. And I'm praying more now because I have grown spiritually. Oh, I understand the word of God now. And that's because I've grown spiritually. You should be able to say, I am more generous now. So when the Bible says the part of a just is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter. As it pertains to generosity you should be getting more generous because God, as you continue to fellowship with him, should be helping you conquer selfishness. You will have to see life from a lens, all right, that, is, that helps you see beyond yourself and see others besides yourself and see what God is doing in your day. And you have the passion of Nehemiah where you can't see the walls broken down, you know, and you're, you just have your fancy job in the palace and you're cooling off and all of that. It must be a passion in your heart. An evangelical prophetic passion. Ah, Lord, your kingdom must rise in Babylon. The king must know that I serve the true living God. By my contribution, financially and by the gifts of the Spirit, your kingdom must rise in Babylon must rise, your fame must rise in Babylon until they recognize that on Daniel or whatever your name is, dwells the spirit of the living God. There is that recognition. We must refuse to remain the minority. And you know what? For, for that to happen, we must all be involved. I told you two weeks ago, God is raising an army of dead men. An army that have deadened their senses to the flesh. Deadened their senses to mammon. Mammon can't get the best of you. When God will have you do something for him, he only needs to say it once. That was the kind of man Abraham was. When God spoke to Abraham, you know, he only needed to speak once. He only needed to speak once. And listen, in the body of Christ, we must speak our battles our battles, I think there are needless debates that we have, that we ought not to have. We must stick to what is most important, and here is what I'm saying. You know, as far back as 2014, um, I began to speak against the extremes, you know, of the tithing doctrine and the church. And I tell the truth before God, and in all humility, I didn't know a single Nigerian at the time, a Nigerian preacher, who was preaching the same thing. And, well, it put us in a lot of trouble because, I mean, it was relatively new at the time. I mean, I remember someone invited his sister to church. And I preached and I said, if you don't tithe, no devourer will devour you. You know, and she looked at her brother and said, I will never come to your church again. By the way, she has come many times after that. It's hard to replace Celebration Church, I'm just saying. Anyway, but... uh, But at that time, that was how shocked she was. She thought it was blasphemy. You know, and I thought it was hilarious. Like, how is it bad news to you that God loves you so much? He doesn't need you to meet any requirement to keep blessing you. Are you that desperate to be devoured? I mean, I told you you won't be devoured and you're angry. (laughs) You know, and that's just how terrible extreme teachings are. You know, many people have taught that Tithing is a compulsory ordinance in the church. No, it's not. No, it's not. Some have even said um, non-tithers will go to hell. Mm -mm. Tithing is not the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. The gospel is. Some have said, like I already established, that the devourer will devour you if you don't tithe. No, that's not true. You cannot have a grace perspective when it comes to salvation and have a works perspective when it comes to money. But I want to say this to you. So Paul says, as you are bound in diligence and in faith and in knowledge and in orderance, he says, see that you are bound in this grace also. So the same way we help you grow in your prayer life by telling you pray 6 a.m., 12 noon and 8 p.m. We do that. The Bible doesn't tell us how many times to pray daily. The Bible doesn't tell us how long to pray daily. But we put those measures, we use discretion in line with the Word of God so that we can have the right exposure to permit us to grow, right? So as a Bible teacher, we're supposed to give you, all right, parameters to help you grow in line with the Word of God. And no one has ever complained, why must we go to church on Sunday you know, only a few people. Right? It's a silly argument. You know, the Bible doesn't say we must go to church on Sunday. But we chose Sunday. We chose particular days of the week. Because the Bible says fundamentally not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. So we have a yardstick for prayer. You know, just not really a yardstick, a requirement to meet. But just to help people grow in their prayer life. We have corporate times of prayer. We have corporate times of Bible study. You know what else we must do concerning generosity? You can't train people in generosity by asking them to, you know, leaving it to them. There has to be some measure, even if it is still a free will gift, to guide people. You know what Paul says? He says, everyone has a purpose in his heart, so let him give. Not out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. But I want to tell you something. Everybody keeps asking in the tithing debate, is it an ordinance? But my question for you is this. So what if it's not? Do you know what it would mean if you were given financially every month, then you heard that, you know, there is no ordinance, no such ordinance, and then you stopped? You know, so someone who loves Jesus and belongs to a church that is actually preaching the gospel, using these resources effectively to reach more people, who recognize that he's part of an army. And on account of my generosity, many people have been reached for the gospel. Oh, it's the least I can do. I mean, if people under the law were, you know, were obliged to give a 10, then we dare say that the least of us should give a 10. The least of us should give a 10. You know, people don't really talk about this because they like to dismiss this easily. When people tell you that the first person to give a tithe gave the tithe before the law, they quickly say, oh yes, but he gave it just once. You know why he gave it just once? Because he only saw a priest once. He only saw a priest once. One thing to learn from Abraham is he never saw a man of God without giving. Never. He never, he will run after strangers, compel them to stop by to eat something or to stay so, you know. And that's one of the many ways that he was so blessed. And so when you come to Galatians 6, the Bible tells you, let he that is taught communicate with him that teaches in all good things. You know, so we can have that culture. Even if Abraham did it once in a while, it was because of the times he lived in. And yes, Jesus is our high priest, but then we have... Pastors who continue with us, and the Bible does categorically tell us, All right, let he that is taught communicate. So, fundamentally, you still see that same principle preserved. And so, I made up my mind years ago I will cheerfully and not out of necessity give a tenth. Here is the trick of the devil. If you say, Have you noticed? If you just say, hey, I will give as it comes to mind. You, you, will not, you will be surprised. You cannot grow in generosity that way. There has to be some standard. And that's why, um, besides the legal requirement of tithing, you have to see the brilliance of it. Because if you put a levy, you say everybody give 50,000. 50,000 is too small for some people and it's too much for some, for others. But if you say everybody give a tenth, we can all give at the same level. I mean, it, it has to be the percentage um, perspective that made Jesus say that the widow gave more than every other person. Because generosity is measured by what you have left. So the percentage idea is brilliant. So in Celebration Church, you give cheerfully, generously, not out of necessity. And like I would often say, in Celebration Church, it is very easy to see where the money is going. Very easy very easy you know and you know i'm just itching you know sometimes i just you know i'm just excited by what more we can do because because of the army of trained men we have look at what we are doing look at what we've done in eight years look at our children's church has released two books the children's church on its own is so effective not to compare, but it's, it's almost as if our children's church is even more effective than some people's entire ministries. So much work is being put. Look at all the branches that were starting. And so, like Paul, I want to appreciate every one of you whose heart the Lord has dared, you know, to be a part of this work. It is on your account that we've been able to Do all that we're doing. God bless you. Thank you. You see, we learned from Paul that you can appreciate people. Paul appreciated people. Paul literally categorically mentioned names. All right. Paul appreciated the church at Macedonia. Like I just read to you. Paul appreciated the church at Philippi. Philippians 4.15. Paul spoke very highly of Epaphroditus, all right, and his generosity. Let me just give you a, a list of ministry partners that Paul appreciated. Paul was known for that. Paul appreciated Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Gaius, Jason, John Mark, Luke, Undisimos, Silas, Sothinus. Not all of these partnered financially, but I just want you wanted to see how particular. Paul was about mentioning names. Trophinus, Timothy, Titus, Ananias, Damerios, Erastus, Lydia, Gamaliel, Priscilla, and Aquila. Because it's a big deal when you put your money where your faith is. It's a big deal when you put your money where your faith is. Let's continue from where we stop, verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Listen, let me tell you something. It is true that righteousness is a free gift, but righteousness can be demonstrated. And one of the many ways that you can demonstrate righteousness is with your generosity. Did you hear what I said? One of the many ways you can demonstrate righteousness is with your generosity. So he says, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures. practice So because your righteousness by faith is intact forever. You know, a lot of people like to talk about eternal security. How about you talk about eternal generosity? As long as I am saved by grace through faith, I will give. As a demonstration of that faith, he says, "Your righteousness and generosity endures forever. I call it putting your money where your faith is, because our purse will always follow the reading of our heart. And so verse 13, Paul says, "And because of the service by which you have proved yourselves." Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Look at what he's saying. He says, The service, he's talking about generosity, he calls it a service. It's, it's, it's a department on his own, it's partnership. He says, because of the service which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Your confession is not meant to be alone. Faith without works is dead. There is an obedience in generosity that accompanies your confession. He says, and for your generosity in sharing with them. There's an obedience. If God has changed my heart, he has changed the priority of my wallet. That's what Paul is telling you. And I want to tell you something. Listen, you don't have a choice. You know, I, I met a, um, a man young, long ago, some time ago. This was um, months ago. And he gave so generously to church and to me. You know, when I looked at him and I thanked him, you know what he told me I will never forget? He said, Pastor, I've learned that if I don't do mon- do the right things with money, it will go to the wrong things. It will go to the wrong things. Let me tell you something. If you don't spend on what you value, your value for that thing will diminish. You can never consistently value anything you don't spend on. Any partner you don't spend on, you will cheat on. It's one, it's one of the signs. When you see a man who has money... Not spending on his wife. Something is wrong. Check it. It's a law of value. It's a law of value. You know what the Bible says? It says, where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be. If you want to incline your heart to anything, invest in it. Invest in it. Just a very simple secret. You say, ah, My love life is suffering. Start putting money. You'll be shocked. (laughs) Start. All the things you are complaining, he's not dressing well. Buy the cloth for him. She's not dressing well. Buy the cloth. The love will rekindle. It's a love life. Put your money where your faith is. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000. Blessings.